again in the future. <coughs> Excuse me. So, smells or scents have a power, don't they? Maybe it's just the smell of that pecan pie baking in the oven that reminds you of a great Thanksgiving that you've had in the past. Or pick your pie of choice. Mine is pecan. But smells, scents have a power to transport you to different places. They take you back maybe to events or circumstances in your past. They bring memories to mind. There are certain smells that trigger things in my mind. Take, for instance, the smell, the sweet stench of syrup. When I smell the sweet stench of syrup, I cannot help but be reminded of my brother's apartment in Flagstaff, Arizona. They might disagree with me this, but I have three brothers that live together in an apartment in Flagstaff, and I swear every time I visited, it smelled like they just had pancakes. There was this sweet stench of syrup, and that's forever triggered in my mind, connected to that apartment. Or the, the classic smell of Old Spice. I cannot help but think of my grandpa. Or the sweet cinnamon sting of Big Red Gum mixed with coffee. And that's my grandma. There's smells that trigger these memories or these places or even these people, and, they, and it brings it back into my mind. And I cannot help but when we come to the Gospel of John, chapter 21, when we meet Peter again as he's sitting around a charcoal fire, that that too was a scent that took him back. For last week, we had just seen how Jesus again appears to his disciples, how they recognized him, how Peter jumped off the boat and everyone else came rushing in, and how Jesus was sitting around a charcoal fire and he was he's baking some fish and he had some bread for them and they had this intimate seaside breakfast prepared for each other. And so we see Peter sitting here when we pick up this account in John 21. And he's sitting around a charcoal fire and you have to imagine the smell of that roasting, burning wood was in the air. And it took him back. Because there's only two times in the whole Gospel of John where that verbiage is used of a charcoal fire. One was right here when they sat around it with Jesus. The other time was when Peter was huddled around a charcoal fire with soldiers and a servant girl and he was denying Christ. So now here he sits on this beach side with this scent of charcoal in his nose, and he cannot but help have a conflict of emotions. He was overjoyed. Here was Jesus again with him. He could relate to him. He could talk to him. He could have that conversation again with Jesus. He was overjoyed, but yet he was conflicted, for he was reminded just by the scent of his biggest failure. That when push came to shove, when Jesus needed him most, he shrunk back and he denied even knowing Jesus. And so his joy is overshadowed by his guilt and his shame as he struggled with how he had messed up and how he had struggled. Cannot help us right in the midst of this conflicting emotions that are going through Peter's minds that we pick up the story in John chapter 21 starting in verse 15 when Jesus speaks into Peter's life. 
So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open up to John 21, starting verse 15. If you don't, it's going to be on the screen. It says this, right after Jesus has been talking to them, they finished breakfast. It says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, I, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the other disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one whom, who also had leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it? Who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did, where every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Mercy moves us to follow. When you're looking at this passage, you still really see this fact that Jesus was merciful to Peter, that he mercifully restored Peter to ministry. And we see almost a microcosm of the Christian life that mercy moves us to follow. That any following on our part is first in, uh, instigated and inaugurated by Jesus having mercy upon us. And us knowing that mercy we have in him moves us to follow him. Mercy moves us to follow. It's the heart of the Christian life. It's the heart of this passage is that Jesus has mercy upon Peter and calls him to follow. And it starts with this merciful restoration of Peter. We pick up the story and they're having this breakfast and they finish breakfast and Jesus turns to Peter and he asks him the same question three times. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Three times. Marrying the three times that Peter denied knowing Jesus. He did this intentionally. He did this with purpose. Why? Because he's showing Peter, I know that you failed. I know that you denied me. I know that you messed up, and I know that you're struggling with guilt. I know that you're struggling with that shame, and you're wondering what is the path forward, and I'm letting you know this truth. Simon, Son of John, do you love me? And Peter, of course, says, yes, Lord, I love you. That Jesus three times asks the same questions. Why? Because he's showing that there's a way out of his guilt. They're showing that there's a way, path to being with him. And that Peter can know that that past failure is in the past, is gone. 
that Jesus is now reinstituting, restoring him to fellowship and ministry with him. Three times he asked that. There's slight variations in the questions and the answers. There's even slight variations in the verbs that Jesus used. But the main point is the same. is giving Peter a chance to once again to declare his love and his devotion and his discipleship for Jesus. Giving him a chance to not only speak it for himself, but to speak it for the Lord so that he knows that Jesus heard him. I am going to follow you. I love you. Not looking any more to the past when I messed up, but looking to you and walking forever with you. When we look at Peter, in the Gospels, all the Gospels, even in the Gospel of John, we see a guy who kind of proclaimed that he loved God and Jesus more than any of the other disciples. He kind of made this boasting claim that he was always going to follow Jesus no matter what. He was this uh, kind of uh, rash individual that would cut off a servant uh, of the, uh, the priest's ear who would kind of speak first or jump off a boat to follow Jesus. And so once again, we see when Jesus talks to him and says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Jesus is giving him a chance to say, yes, I know I made some big bold claims and I failed, but that failure is not going to characterize who I am. That he can be brought back into fellowship with Jesus, brought back into ministry with Jesus. And this merciful restoration comes with a call to ministry. For again and again, after each question is asked, Simon, son of John, do you love me? What does Jesus say to Simon Peter's response? Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. Jesus is saying, Peter, I know that you love me. You're welcome back. And you're forgiven. Now you have a job to do. Take care of my people. That you're welcome back and I forget your fellers and I say, you are going to take care of my people. And this same merciful restoration is the same as true for all of us. That if we believe in Jesus Christ, we experience that same merciful restoration. For before Christ, we were on our own. Before Christ, we were rebels against our just God. Before Christ, we were sinners with no hope. Before Christ, we were dead in our transgressions. Before Christ, we had no hope. And yet, we're restored back into where we're supposed to be through Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. The good news of who He is. That when on our own we are separated from God, but yet Jesus Christ comes into our darkness and pulls us out into His kingdom of light. And because of that, we have salvation. We have, uh, we're adopted into God's family. We are saved. And so we all have been mercifully restored. And then with that merciful restoration comes a call to ministry to take care of of God's people. I love how Peter is, is kind of cut to the quick when Jesus asks him the third time. He understands probably what Jesus is doing here. He's like, I got it. The third time you've asked me again. And he appeals not to his own good works, not saying, hey man, I just jumped off the boat for you. He doesn't appeal to any of that, but what does he appeal to? God's own knowledge. 
He says, you know that I love you. And that is enough. And the same for us. That when we stand before God, when we stand before Christ, what appeal do we make not to our own good works, not to what we've done, not to our ministry of how well we've done this or that. What do we do? We go, God, you know that I love you. And that is enough. And we're mercifully restored. Mercy moves us to follow. For it's right after this merciful call, this merciful restoration of Peter, that then Jesus gives them the call, follow me. I love it. Jesus kind of switches gears and he says, hey, Peter, this is how you're going to die. Thanks, Jesus. That's really cheerful. But I love it because it makes sense. Because this is Peter who was scared of the soldiers. This is Peter who was scared of a servant girl. And so he denied knowing Christ. And now he says, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, I love you. And goes, all right, you love me? I'm calling you to consistent discipleship. You will die for me. And it will glorify my name. And this is how you're going to die. That when you were young, you used to be free. But now when you're going to be old, they're going to lead you where you don't want to go. And they are going to kill you. For most people see this description of how Jesus, Peter's going to die, and they see how, that Peter's going to be crucified. He's going to be executed. He's going to be stretched out. They're going to be in control of his body. And this death is going to glorify the Lord. And so it makes sense. He says, Peter, you were scared before, but now you're claiming to love me. And so now I'm calling you that you know what awaits you, and you are to follow me no matter what. Follow me, he declares. This is consistent discipleship. This is a call to all of us who know Jesus Christ. He calls us to follow him no matter what. This is a call to every waverer, every failure, everyone who rebels, everyone who's reading this, the stumbler, the hesitator, is to follow Christ no matter what. Because we know that no matter what meets us, no matter the end that awaits us, it can be to the glory of God. That we praise the risen Lord, we pursue Him, we're called to follow no matter what. Mercy moves us to follow. Sometimes we hesitate to follow because we say, who am I to follow the Lord? Who am I to serve the Lord? Who am I that He would use me? And I love the saying that there's more mercy in Christ than sin in us. That He will always have mercy for us and He calls the sinner, the failure, the mess-ups, we're in good company, to follow Him. Sometimes we think, how do I follow the Lord? Well, well, maybe I need to get my act together. Maybe I need to follow those rules better. Maybe I need to, to follow morality. And that's the way to follow the Lord. But that's not the path to follow Christ. That the path to follow Christ is always paved by mercy. And that He forgives us. And it moves us to follow. And it's only then that we start to live for Him. The way to follow Christ is paved by mercy. Mercy moves us to follow. So Peter, hearing this call to consistent discipleship, the same call that we all hear, he then does what? The most human thing I think he possibly could do. He looks back and says, hey, what about that guy? You just told me I'm going to die? That's good. 
It's going to glorify you. Good. But what about that guy? The one who's describing himself as a disciple you love. How about him? What happens to him? And I love this because it's so human that we get a call from God to follow. And what is our reaction? Well, what about other people? Are they experiencing the same things I am? Are they going to have to experience the same things I am? Are they going to go through the same pain and the hardship? Are you going to grow them in the same ways as me? We look and we compare and we look around and say, what about them? And we kind of almost say, hey, if they're going to go, then I'm going to go. And Jesus' response is a response, I think, to every one of us. And I love it. What is that to you? That Jesus looks at Peter after he says, hey, what about John? And he says, what is that to you? If he lives forever, that's going to be for my glory. If he dies tomorrow, that's going to be for my glory. What is it to you? It does not impact on how you follow. And I think that should resonate in our minds and our hearts and it calls us to follow that we should stop looking around, stop comparing what God has in store for us with what he has in store for other people and know that he's called you and you personally to follow. Follow me. That when Jesus said, looks into Peter's eyes and says, what is that to you? You follow me. He's speaking to every single person who calls upon the name of the Lord and says, you follow me. That your call is personal. That your, your calling to follow Christ is personal. That you follow him no matter what. That if you look around and no one in your company is going the same way, you follow Christ. If you look around and no one in your family is going the same way, you follow Christ. If you look around and none of your friends are going the same way, you follow Christ. What is it to you that you look at him and you follow him? Because that's how Jesus deals with us personally, intimately, saying, you follow me. You, look at yourself. It's a merciful focus. So much easier than looking around and worrying about what's going on in other people's lives. But we focus on his call for us. This is not a call that we ignore other people or we don't love them or we don't encourage them to fall. Yes, we encourage them to fall, but we don't compare what God and his blessings that he's poured out on us with what he's doing in other people's lives. For he is intimately and personally dealing with each one of us perfectly to grow us and transform us more and more like Christ. He mercifully restores Peter. He gives a merciful call to Peter to follow, a call that was called for all of us. And it's a merciful focus that we look at what he is doing in our lives and we commit to him. And he closes this gospel pointing out that this is a trustworthy account of Jesus' life. That's the summation of this gospel is when, when the gospel writer, who I take to be John, and he says, hey, it's me. This is the person who's seen this. He's witnessed this. And now he's writing this. And so you can trust this. You can trust this. This is trustworthy. You can follow this. And then he ends the gospel with this kind of hyperbole kind of statement that Jesus did so many other things that if you were to write them down, I suppose that there wouldn't be enough books to contain them on the earth. 
He's saying, look at this. You can trust that I saw this and I wrote this. And then you can trust in the greatness of who Jesus is. For this gospel account is just scratching the surface on how great our Lord is. If you know Him, if you see Him, you'll see Him do great and greater things and you'll have experienced Him doing greater and greater things in your own life. And so then the fitting question is for each and every one of us as we come to the close of the Gospel of John is this question that He gives to Peter. Will you follow? That each and every one of us, as we come to the close of the Gospel of John, as we've seen the greatness of the Lord, as we've seen the Gospel displayed for us, that Jesus came to die for us, that He lived a perfect life for us, that He rose again from the dead. And when we see this truth, we have only one question that we have to ask ourselves. Will we follow? Will we will we respond to the same call that, that, that Jesus has given to Peter. Follow me. Will you follow? For we see how Jesus' mercy intersects, intersects with our failures, our mess-ups, our sin, our rebellion. It changes it. It transforms it. It restores it. It makes us new that Jesus' mercy comes into our lives and makes it better as we follow Him. I have to imagine that's what it did with Peter. That bitter scent of charcoal that reminded him of his failures was forever changed in his mind. For it no longer would be the scent of his failure but it would be the soothing aroma of forgiveness. That whenever he now smelled fire, it wouldn't go back to when he denied Christ, but his mind would go back to as he sat around that fire and Christ restored him and forgave him and had mercy on him. That he would remember that Christ had called him to follow. And it's the same thing for us, that we are transformed and we know the mercy of of Christ. The mercy of Christ that works in our lives and changes it and so that we can know Him and we follow Him because He's had mercy on us. Mercy moves us to follow. Spurgeon said it like this. He said, Come boldly, believer, <clears throat> for despite the whisperings of Satan and the doubting of your own heart, you are greatly loved. And that's what we see from this passage. Come boldly, believer, and follow the Christ. Follow the risen one. Follow your Lord. For despite your failures, despite your mess up, despite your sin and your rebellion, He has mercifully worked in your life and He calls you to follow. He calls you to take that step of faith. He calls you to be one of His. He calls you to focus again on Him and forget your failures. Forget the past mess ups. Forget your sin, and know that only mercy and love await in Him. Mercy moves us to follow. So I pray for every one of us that we can follow. As we finish this Gospel of John, that we can see the truth of who He is, that if we have not yet believed in Jesus Christ, we can believe in Him and know the truth and follow Him all 
of our days. Would you join me in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, praise be to your name. For we love you, we seek you, we ask that you continue to work in us, continue to show us the truth. Lord, we ask that you continue to move in us and that you